Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we'll hear remarks made at the 2018 Tucson Festival of Books at the Nuestras Raices Stage, a program of the Pima County Public Library. The panel was entitled Radical Hope, Letters of Love and Dissent in Dangerous Times. Editor Carolina de Robertis was the book editor, and she was joined by two of the contributors, Celeste Ng and Luis Alberto Urea. Ernesto Portillo Jr. of the Arizona Daily Star and La Estrella de Tucson moderated the panel. Radical Hope is a collection of letters to ancestors, to children five generations from now, to strangers in grocery lines, to any and all who feel weary and discouraged, written by award-winning novelists, poets, political thinkers, and activists. Provocative and inspiring, Radical Hope offers readers a kaleidoscopic view of the love and courage needed to navigate this time of upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. This is part one of a two-part series. Welcome to the 10th annual Tucson Festival of Books. My name is Ernesto Portillo Jr. with the Arizona Daily Star y La Estrella de Tucson. We wish to thank Pepper Viner, Holmes and Stalker Foundation, and the Friends of the Pima County Public Library for sponsoring this venue and supporting Nuestras Raices. Nuestras Raices is a library program that builds the community by celebrating Mexican-American, Chicano, Latino, ex-authors, arts, and culture. <laughs> Our first author, in the middle, Carolina de Robertis, is the author of the novels The Gods of Tango, Perla, and The Invisible Mountain. Her books have been translated into 17 languages and have received wide acclaim. She's a longtime activist, speaking on behalf of immigrantes y mujer, derechos de mujeres, and has spent a decade in the nonprofit sector before writing her first book. You see, it can be done. Yeah. <laughs> she lives in Oakland with her wife and two children and teaches creative writing at San Francisco State University, Carolina de Robertis. <laughs> and of course, the author of the collected essays, Radical Hope, on which this panel discussion is based. Celeste Ng grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and also Shaker Heights, Ohio. She attended Harvard University and earned an MFA from the University of Michigan. Her debut novel, Everything I Never Told You, won the Massachusetts Book Award, the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature, and the American Library Association's Alex Award, and listed in the New York Times Notable Books of 2014. Her newest book is Little Fires Everywhere. Luis Herrera is a popular favorite uh, attendee, a panelist here at the Festival of Books. Now in his 10th year, Luis has been here every year. You know his books, you've read his books, his short stories and poems, and his newest book, which has sold out here at the festival, which was debuted here at the festival, sold 600 copies, Ya No Hay, House of Broken Angels. He lives in the Chicago area with his wife, Cindy, and their daughter, Chayo, who is soon going to college, and he, he teaches at the University of Illinois in Chicago. As many of you know, we had a fourth author scheduled for this panel discussion, Alicia Garza, but unfortunately, Alicia could not make the Festival of Books. However, in her spirits and with her words, 
in the form of the essay that she contributed to the book Radical Hope, we will start the discussion. In the section that Carolina calls Roots, Alicia writes to an ancestor, Dear Mama Harriet, Alicia draws inspiration from a woman who escaped slavery and who can offer us some answers and how to respond to, quote, these perilous times we are living in and the backlash that resulted in the election of a president who is unfit to be a leader. And she writes, and she writes, each day, each day I pray to you, Mama Harriet, to give me and all of us the strength to keep moving forward toward freedom. I know it won't be easy, so I pray that you fortify me and the rest of us. I pray that you help us see slavery clearly so that we can fight it and end it once and for all. I pray that you remove the barriers between us that keep us from being effective together. I pray that you mend our hearts when we break them and when our fight shatters our hearts and into a thousand pieces. And most of all, Mama Harriet, I pray that you are proud of all of us. Carolina, what was it about this essay that drew you to collect these letters? And what can we draw from them? Um, well, thank you so much, Neto, and to my uh, fellow panelists. I am in awe of both of you. I love your books. I love you. And I love all of you. Thank you so much for coming today. Um, I'm thrilled to be here with you. So this book uh, was born as an idea three days after the election. Does anybody else remember the Friday after the election? Gosh, we have to remember <laughs> Many that. Many of us were in a, a parallel state. Um, and, uh, you know, that we had an election night party at my home in Oakland, California, and it was like, you know, the United Nations of, um, of our friends and community. And the energy at this party, I'd never had a party where the energy went, Ooh, you know, in the course of the night. And a friend who's a, who's a, 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 a devoted community activist was leaving the party just as the news was really breaking. And she said, you know what? No matter what happens, we'll get through this together. And that mm. stayed with me. And I stayed with that together. And then the Friday after the election, I just thought, you know, what can we do? Writers, people, all of us citizens, we're all going to need to be engaged in this process of staying sane, awake, and engaged as we're already seeing the backlash on the rise and the spike in hate crimes and all of the many dangers that are going to be a part of this coming period of this society. And how are we going to keep our sights on the culture that we want to have in this society and in our world and in our communities over the long haul? So basically, you know, writers, I've always been sustained by the written word. I think writers have always played a part in shaping the future of culture. My um, country of origin, Uruguay, when I was born, was under a dictatorship. And writers, many of them in exile, but kept the hope and the vision alive of what they wanted their country to be. You know, And it was years later that we were able to have Jose Mujica, if anyone knows about the Uruguayan president, who was a former guerrilla fighter, who then became this incredible leftist president. Years later, the seed of that social change was in the dictatorship era itself when he was a political prisoner. So I reached out. I just started reaching out to writers and just kind of with a wide open heart. I didn't know if it would work. Um, I was asking people to work on an incredibly short deadline. I just started writing to people in my own writing community, um, published authors whom I love and admire and saying, would you join me in stirring some radical hope in a book of essays? I don't know, love letters, something to help sustain us. And 
I got six yeses in six hours. Wow. So I wasn't the only one sitting at my computer thinking, what can we do? My first yes was from uh, the Cuban-American author Cristina Garcia, if anyone else loves her work in this space. Um, and so then from there, it grew. And, you know, as you hear from Alicia's words, you know, these just... Uh, the, the vision, articulating the vision together with each other and coming to the page to remember that we're not alone and that we have so much beauty to fight for um, matters. So. Celeste, when, since the election, uh, I, along with many other people, have turned hard, angry, uh, even somewhat uh, despairingly. In your essay uh, called Stay Open, I found this positive sense filled with this radical hope. In your letter to your darling boy, you give him optimisms, uh, you give him reasons to stay optimistic, to continue to be tolerant and accepting of the growing diversity of people around him. But even with the currents of hate, nationalism gaining ground and becoming the new normal, you wrote him in a most tender way. You wrote, in less fearful moments, though, this is what I want to tell you. Resist the urge to grow a shell. Don't let fear convince you that hardness is good. Where do you see living examples of where people and communities have not grown a shell as they themselves are shelled from the outside? Well, it, Carolina, you, you said, you know, do you remember the Friday after the election, which I, I do, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I found myself uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where I went to graduate school the day after the election. Um, I had agreed some months earlier to go and talk at the university because I'm an alum. And so the day after the election, when I, I think like many of us, were, was feeling really shaken, really uncertain what was going on, all I wanted to do was to um, basically stay in bed. Um, I, you know, I, I had this sort of irrational desire to make my husband stay home from work and to make my to take my son home from school and that we could just kind of hunker down but I had agreed to go fly away and do this talk and so I went to um, the University of Michigan and I had friends there and the whole community because Ann Arbor uh, tends to lean towards the left which is a slight understatement. <laughs> um, they were really shaken, and they were very shaken, especially because there's a, um, there's a, there's a big rock on the community, um, so maybe like the size of this table, and there's a tradition where before football games, they'll repaint it with you know Michigan slogans and the colors and the M, and the night of the election, somebody had painted it with swastikas. So the, the next morning, students were waking up and finding this, and they were very startled to sort of realize, I think what many of us have realized, that these feelings and these um, you know, sort of intolerances have been there all along and that they are, this is not a new thing it did not start with the election but that sort of has made it okay for a lot of those feelings to just be right up there at the surface so because I was sort of forced out of my comfort zone, um, I was away from home, I was sort of wandering around downtown Ann Arbor um, I ended up finding my way into the bookstore, Literati, uh, which is new since I went there, but is a, a place that I love. I had watched it sort of grow from afar. Um, and one of the things that I found when I went in there was that everyone in the bookstore was there sort of for the same reason that I was there, that we were sort of shaken. We were looking for other people to sort of help us, you know, figure out what to do, how to keep hope, how to figure out how we were going to change things to make things better. And we were also looking for words to kind of bolster us. Um, and so 
if you had to spend a day, you know, that day, it was away from home. It was a good way to spend it in the, a bookstore where people were there, sort of telling each other, encouraging things, and trying to tell each other, like you said at the party, we're going to get through this together. And I'm lucky that I, I live in a community. I think that is is trying very hard to stay open. Um, and so our, we certainly don't we don't do it perfectly. We don't do everything. We have our blind spots, but. It was really heartening to me, for example, to see in the news that many people in my hometown of Cambridge were writing letters to the local Islamic centers just to say, you know what, like, we just want you to know that we are happy you're here. We are, the community is behind you and supports you, you know. And then as things have gone, uh, you know, as we're starting to hear more things about, like, ICE raids and things like that, the, the public schools are saying, we're having forums here to talk about ways that, you know, it, whatever your needs are, please come in. And ways that I think it would be easy to close down because as a shy person and an introvert, that's my natural inclination. To see so many people stepping out of their comfort zones has been heartening and has encouraged me to try and do the same, even when it's um, even when it's scary for me. Luis, how did you respond uh, at the day after election? And how are you responding today? How mm. have you changed? Right. If you've changed at all. <laughs> What election? <laughs> um, yeah, I think we were quite shocked, like people were. Um, you know, I don't, I, I, my parents were both deeply, deeply conservative. I always tell people, you know, though my dad was Mexican, he would have voted for Nixon if he had American citizenship, but he would have done it Mexican style and voted seven, eight times. In the, um, and uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I gave in to despair. Like you, I felt rage. I felt hopelessness. Um, but then, you know, I came back to, to what we do. Mm -hmm. This is what we do. And this is how we speak to people. And this is how I hope we can put hope out there through our work and through what we can say to people. And I, I always come back to this quote that has become one of my mainstays, Neil Cassidy writing a letter to Jack Kerouac mm -hmm. said grace beats karma <laughs> and right now the karma is looking pretty bad <laughs> but uh, I think it's reaching out for a sense of grace you know and inclusion what I liked with Carolina when we were talking about this stuff was I, I yeah hope hope for everybody who you know is, is a progressive but hope grace Understanding for our conservative friends too, which is what I wrote about. You know, I thought there's a lot of people going to find out they were hurt and hoodwinked, and then what? You are listening to remarks made at a panel entitled "Radical Hope: Letters of Love and Dissent in Dangerous Times" from the 2018 Tucson Festival of Books at the Nuestras Raices stage on 30 Minutes. 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Let me follow up, Luis, with something you said Thursday at the presentation of his book here at the University of Arizona. And if I heard you right, you said you're not political. And uh, <laughs> did I hear you right? No. <laughs> no, I said I'm a political agnostic. Okay, political agnostic. I lost my faith. <laughs> he lost his faith. And in the, and in the essay that he just referred to... Uh, uh, grace and Karma under the Orange Caesar. He wrote at the end, there will come a time... There will come a time... Sorry about that. And it won't, I'm not sorry. And it, and it won't be long when the followers of Orange Caesar will realize that they have been lied to, that they have been fooled, 
but they are objects of cynical derision, and they will be hurt. We think we ache, we nasty women and bad hombres. That is when we must act. It will be our task not to gloat or mock, because they are us. It will be our job to comfort. We are not, in this midnight, permitted to refuse to shine. We are the light. Grace beats karma. But Luis, it's going to be hard for me not to gloat and mock. I know. So riff on that paragraph, if you will. The, uh, you, you made reference to it. I was just but, trying to be groovy because she was editing it. I was, <laughs> she's no, but the, so transcendent. But know? the sense of not, not, having, not engaging in retribution, uh, not, yeah. not mocking, not gloating. Because this yeah. will change. Yeah. It's changing now. Things are coming apart faster and faster. But you know what? You have to... That was really heartfelt for me because of my own experience in this journey, you know, being a writer, um, you know, being born in Tijuana, being the white Mexican, so I get invited to all these places where they might not invite somebody who's not the white Mexican. I know, and I've experienced stuff that makes me really mad, and I have to tell myself, wait, take it into consideration, try to have a little bit of, of mercy though sometimes we know very well people aren't going to have mercy on us. But, you know, as my wife says, I have a Jesus syndrome. So, you know, now she calls me Chewy. Chewy. She's got a Chewy, a Jesus. I said, that's better. So the, the story I told in there, I told a little comedic story, but it's really true trying to express what I'm trying to get at as a, as a thought was... Um, you know, we, I grew up in a really tough, mixed ethnic barrio, and there was a lot of warfare between brown, white, and black. Violent stuff. And my poor mom was, uh, uh, you know, a New Yorker, a white lady, born in 1916, and we were really poor. And Halloween came, and she didn't have money for a, a, a costume. And she said, well, what would you like to be, dear boy? And I said, Casper the Friendly Ghost. And so she got a sheet. Oh, yeah, and she wrapped me up in the sheet, and then she got a pillowcase and cut two eye holes and sent me down to the African-American. And he lived to tell about it. I go walking down, and I knock on this, the first house, this gentleman's door, and he opened the door, and he looked at me, and he said, what the hell are you supposed to be? And I said, Casper the Friendly Ghost! And he said, just wait a second. He shut the door, and then he came back out with his wife, and they were both like... <laughs> and I remember he gave me an orange, and as I was going to leave, he said, hey, kid. And I said, yeah. And he said, you know what would be even scarier? Yeah, if you had a ghost body and a people head, just take off that top. And I did. And that was mercy, right? That was, and that's what I'm trying to think about, that we can understand people, for whatever reasons, make choices that we think are really wrong. And when they realize not only they've been had, but that they've actually hurt other people, if they care, which I'm doubting right now, but if they care, it might be our job to have to say, even if we don't want to, Ay, cabron, you messed up, man. You know, we're going to try to help you back one more time. Yeah. I think, I think that's, for me, I, that's so much of that 
ties into the writing of fiction also. I mean, that we are yes. all fiction writers, but I feel like um, yeah. when I'm writing, uh, one of my, my jobs, I think, is to take characters that even if I don't understand what they did, I don't like what they did, I would like to think that I would never do what they do. My job is still to understand them and to try and get the reader to understand why this character would do such a thing. It doesn't mean that you forgive it. It doesn't mean that you say that it's acceptable, but at least to understand why it was that they did what they did. I, they said this in a panel yesterday, but I have a, um, a seven-year-old, um, the, the boy to which my, my letter in the um, anthology was, was addressed, and at the time he was five. Um, but he's, at the time was and still is, really into this idea of, of bad guys. He's, his friends are, are very much like, okay, who's going to be the good guys and the bad guys in our game on the playground? Mm. And he's sort of puzzled by this idea because he is, um, he's, he's really a lover and not a fighter. Um, but he he's sort of follow, follows along with them, and I'm fine with him thinking about that, but I talk a lot with him about the idea that the bad guys usually don't think that they are the bad guys. Usually the bad guys mm-hmm. think that they are the good guys. They see the world in a different way and they think that there is a good reason for doing what they're doing and they often think that they are, they are on the side of, of right. And so I try to get him to think a lot about how does the world look to this other person? Why would they do that? Now, okay, you can think about what you're going to do, but to understand that, and I think that to, you can see it sometimes in books when the author hasn't been able to get that empathy for... A character, where we this character is sort of this mustache twirling villain, um, the fiction suffers. And I think in the yeah. real world, when we can't do that, we suffer. When we are not able to, like you said, sort of extend that kind of mercy to people who don't agree with us or even who don't extend it to us. So for me, the the fiction writing I think is sort of a dovetails right along with the sort of way that I am trying to think about the world. One of them. One of the most important and visible uh, responses to, to the election and the fact that we now have a, the first ever porn president uh, is the, the, the Me Too movement. Carolina, how do, you feel, how do you feel that this response, this articulation of, of women's voices will alter our society? Wow. Well, um, <laughs> so I, um, in conceiving this book, it was incredibly important to me. I think part of the problems, there are many problems that came together to lead to the social moment and the institutional government that we are currently experiencing and whose consequences we unfortunately all have to grapple with. Um, and one of the things that, that has led to it, honestly, is white supremacy and patriarchy. I mean, let's just put those words out there in an honest way. Um, the fact that one of the ways that we got here is that we live in a society that consistently, whether interpersonally or institutionally, does privilege some voices over others. I mean, Luis, you just spoke, you know, in my mind, bravely about being a white Mexican. I am also a white Latina or Latina of European descent, and we need to hold, all of each of us needs to hold our privilege and just be conscious of it, um, even as we also have other identities and go, wait, but I'm also working class, or wait, but I'm female, you know, Life is complex, and these identities are complex, and the and the and the barriers for people's voices to have equal space in society are real. So, um, so that's around race and gender. I know you're asking me about gender, but I just want to say real quick that after the election, there was a group of literary agents that were sort of upset, and they said, "We don't like Islamophobia. We then we said we're sending out a call. We want to hear from Muslim writers. We want your book proposals." And I thought. 
that's great. Muslim writers have been around for a long time, you know, and so there's an awakening, I think, that is an opportunity in this time. Um, so it was important to me in creating and curating Radical Hope to have the book really be reflective of exactly what makes this country strong and beautiful, is that we do have an incredible prismatic multiplicity of voices and experiences that are, in fact, part of this, the fabric of this gorgeous country. I'm an immigrant. I came here at, at 10 years old, and I'd like to think there is still space for a joyous um, cultural creation that embraces all of us. Um, on, the, you know, on the level of gender, I mean, I think that, so the book is majority women writers, it's majority writers of color. There are two incredible Muslim writers in there, one of whom is a headscarf-wearing, uh, brilliant novelist, lives in Alabama, um, and, uh, you know, so she is really, Moja Kaf, and she wrote so beautifully and powerfully about hope in a letter to a younger Palestinian um, woman about how they can root in sort of how far communities have come and in love and understanding and visibility. And I'm like, if she can hold hope, you know, then who am I not to? And then there's Moja, Mona El-Tahawi, if you've read her work. She writes in the New York Times. I mean, her essay in, uh, in, um, in Radical Hope is called, I don't think I can even say the name. I'll just replace one of the words with the word F, with the letter F. It, the name of the essay is Hashtag F fascism, hashtag F the patriarchy. <laughs> but, it's actually very, but it's actually very beautiful and inspiring and I thought embracing. Um, so there's many points of view in the book. Um, but I will say as far as um, the, the possibility that's opening with the Me Too movement is certainly about justice for people who've experienced barriers like you know sexual harassment and the horror of, um, of, of rape and the horror of barriers in their careers. But it's also just about how much space there is for women and for the female in our society. My daughter was four years old at the election, and she said one day to me, out of the blue, we were not talking about politics, she just said, we're not beautiful to him. And I said, ooh. You know, and I'm, I'm married to a black woman. My children are multiracial, Afro-Latino kids. And I said, who and she was talking about Trump. We're not beautiful to him. And I said, who said that to you? And she said, nobody said that. It's just a feeling I had. And she's right. The thing is that she was right. Many of us are not beautiful to him and to others in institutional power right now. And so I think we need to root in that beauty and we can affirm it um, a follow-up is that my daughter's now in kindergarten, and I did a keynote speech the other, the other day, and so I had to leave before she woke up for school, and I said, you know, mommy has to leave early and do a speech, so I won't see you before school. And I came home that evening, and she said, mommy, I wrote a speech too. <laughs> and I said, okay, great, can I see it? And she'd written it in her phonetic scroll, kindergarten scroll, and it said, this is our town, this is our truth, with an F, uh. truth with an F. <laughs> so she's ready. <laughs> and so I think one thing we can do is we can um, understand that like building a healthier, more nourishing society for all of us can involve sometimes listening to voices um, across difference and, um, and thinking about the voices that we amplify and, and, and reach for as, as readers and as listeners um, so that the conversation can continue to be more um, inclusive. 
We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to remarks made at the 2018 Tucson Festival of Books at the Nuestras Raices Stage, a program of the Pima County Public Library. The panel was entitled Radical Hope, Letters of Love and Dissent in Dangerous Times. Editor Carolina de Robertis was the book editor, and she was joined by two of the contributors, Celeste Ng and Luis Alberto Urea. Ernesto Portillo Jr. of the Arizona Daily Star and La Estrella de Tucson moderated the panel. This has been part one of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this show on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org, along with other recent episodes of 30 Minutes. There you can now find a link to 30 Minutes on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe as well.